an incredible adventure. What was your journey into yoga and how did you connect with it? And was there a pinch of the material world? Were you naturally attracted to it? You're, you're from the New York City. Can you share a little bit of what was that current that was drawing you toward, uh, forward? Jai Shri Krishna, Jai Shri Radhe. I'm so happy to be here on this auspicious day, the summer solstice, June 21st. And it also happens to be David Ike's 70th birthday. Just wanted to say that before I, I will get to answer your question, answering your question, Raghunathji. Um, but it is a very auspicious day. And you know, the word auspicious means um, bird talk. In the olden times, we human beings paid attention to what the animals said. And when we had a problem or we had to make an important decision, we would look to the birds and other animals to help us make that decision. And so the word auspicious, actually, it's from, I think, a Greek or Latin root, and it means, auspice means bird, so auspicious means uh, the message from the birds. Well, uh, Radhanath and I today are giving uh, an auspicious talk, meaning that um, we're giving a talk for bird brains, and... Uh, <laughs> We hope that um, what we say won't be taken as um, flighty and up in the up in the air too much, but um, will be received very well. So, how did um, I come to yoga? Is your question? I don't really know the answer to that. Um, I do know that as a little girl. I was very interested in getting closer to God. And as I grew older, I started to read books. I was, um, I still am uh, very much of a, a bookworm type. And I came across books about saints, um, this old scriptures, Bhagavad Gita, actually, when I was a very young person, I um, worked in a spiritual library as a volunteer. And I was very uh, honored to be in the midst of Patanjali's Yoga Sutra and, and many wonderful books. And um, it was through books that... I, I really found the yoga teachings. And that was New York City? And, no, um, no, no. I, am, um, I was born in Washington, D.C. Ah. Yeah, on July 4th. Well, we are ready on 4th of July. Well, we are ready for the whole, we are ready for your whole journey home. When you, when you pen it, we'll be eager to read it. <laughs> Maharaj, may I ask you a question? Sometimes I see when I when I visit you in Mumbai, there are so many people moving around. 
There are so many people in the ashram. There's so many guests coming on a regular basis flooding in. And I think, I wonder if he ever misses living in a cave. If you're not a people person, or, if, or even if you are a people person, it can get overwhelming with so many people. And then when you organize an institution and an organization, even right down to a, a couple being organized, it, it's a lot more difficult than just living alone. How do you find the balance of being around so many people that need so much organization and so much direction and so much outgoing, uh, outgoing energy and so many different minds. And then of course, politics will always sneak, sneak in. How do you do that, but not get sucked up in the politics of things? How do you retain a spiritual peace of mind? How do you, how do you walk that tightrope, Maharaj? Um, I, I'm hoping and praying someday I could actually do that. <laughs> but we, can, we could all try our best. That's, that's something that we can do. We can try our best. And um, with, with the grace of God, then um, everything is possible. But in, in my own life, <clears throat> it, it's really important to have that little cave where we can go inward and um, take that journey within. And then with the strength, with the grace that we are nourished with within, we can share that in our activities without. Um, and that's the idea of sadhana or a, a spiritual practice. And I, I try to spend at least a few hours a day um, where I'm doing my meditation on God's names, on doing my japa, kirtan, prayer, um, you know, we all have a particular spiritual practice in my tradition. It's very much based on connecting to the supreme source of everything and everyone through the chanting of mantras. So when I chant this mantra, when I, when I perform kirtan in a, in, a, in a mood of sincerity, and when I study sacred texts, um, I'm in a cave where I'm, I'm really in the presence of, of the supreme lover and the supreme object of love. And with the nourishment I gain there, and with the nourishment I gain from being with people like both of you, satsang, their spiritual strength. And then, you know, whatever uncertain, ever-changing, turbulent times and situations come in our life, you know, we have a, an inner connection that gives us peace and clarity and most important, compassion. And that's what we're striving for. And um, I can't say I'm there, but I can't say I'm striving and I'm so grateful to have been given the tools that, um, that, that help me to, to better serve others in this way. Mm. Um, so, 
our dear friend Julia Butterfly Hill, she coined this term spiritual activation, which uh, I particularly very much uh, resonate with. And it's what Maharaj, you've just been describing in such a beautiful way how to become spiritually activated by going within. Um, Julia, uh, uh, when she first came down from the Redwood Tree, she was an activist. She is an activist. She lived uh, for over two years in a Redwood Tree in Northern California um, to um, stop it from being cut down. And um, she started to give talks. And I heard one of her early talks and the theme of the conference that she was speaking at was spirituality and social action. And when she came on to give her lecture, the first thing she said was, if we are going to make any type of positive, great progress in this world, contribute anything good in this world as human beings, then we have to take and out of spirituality and anything. And she went on to say, spirituality is not a way of life. It is life. And that was when she said this term, spiritual activation, came to her. And in the yogic scriptures, this is talked about how we as human beings cannot do anything, that the supreme is the doer. And if we do want to contribute, then we have to find a way to be a channel for the, the grace and the wisdom of the divine. And, and that's what Maharaj has just been speaking about, the different practices or sadhanas that one can do to open those channels, to um, become spiritually activated. And then compassion can come through us. If we just uh, act from the ego, the ego is not capable of compassion. The nature, it's, it, we can be compassionate towards the ego because it's not the ego's nature to be compassionate. The nature of the ego is selfish. So to transcend that, we must find ways to go inside and clear the path so we can channel the grace of the divine. My teacher, my Guruji Sri Brahmananda Sarasvati, taught us this very wonderful analogy. He said, when you throw a ball, like he said, imagine like a baseball pitcher, and he takes the ball and he pulls way back and then whew, he throws the ball and the ball can 
go very far. But if the pitcher just takes the ball from here and just throws it, it's not going to go very far. So the message is we have to pull back. We have to go inside, deep inside, as Maharaj described, the cave, go deep inside. And then when we do go out, maybe, perhaps, we can go far. It's more, more effective. So you also have a, you have a cave you go into also every, every day. Is that correct? A, a personal cave of, of, of practices. And... Um, or else what comes out in your desire to change is just a lot of anger and uh, uh, actually let's, maybe let's bring this to you because you're actually in your cave right now. You're in your Woodstock home, which is forested. You, you were just telling me earlier you had a bear come by. You take care of the animals that come by actually. You're not, you don't see yourself in opposition. Very similar to how Radhna Swami used to live in the caves at peace with the scorpions and snakes. Do you wanna share about um, what you're doing in Woodstock and how the pandemic has uh, uh, assist, uh, either assisted you or frustrated you or uh, what it's like being there right now? Um. David and I have been in a, um, a retreat for some time now here in this wild Woodstock forest sanctuary uh, devoted to sadhana practices. Yes, we do take care of the wild animals. We protect them from poaching. Unfortunately, uh, there is poaching that goes on in this area. Poaching means people hunting, hunt, people hunting hunt, them. Taking the lives of defenseless animals, yes. Mm -hmm. And so we provide 125 acres of um, sanctuary for deer and foxes and bears, um, many, many birds, rabbits, possums, uh, minks, um, yes, and we feel that they are people too. And we are trying in the best way we can to live harmoniously with um, those people, not just bear people and deer people, but tree people too, and uh, cloud people, you know, to the, the yogi, uh, the whole world is alive and every being in whatever form that being appears has a soul. And so God is within the tree, within the lake, uh, within the worms. And so in our sadhana, we try to clear our minds and our hearts so we might be able to feel that and, and see that and commune with, with these wonderful beings here. And um, uh, we didn't always live here. We did live in New York City, but this area, we heard about this land and that it was going to be clear cut and um, 
parcel it off into um, uh, sections for homes. And so we, we thought we would do our best by, instead of protesting, don't do that and getting angry, we thought, well, what can we do? And so um, we, um, we bought this land. We got a very uh, horrendous mortgage, but we did it. And we, um, <laughs> we, we did it. And with God's grace. And, uh, and so we're here now. And um, uh, my Takarji, uh, Krishna, is very happy here. And um, uh, that's what we do here. It's beautiful. Maharaj, you're, you find your spirituality also is connected with nature. The Govardhan Echo Village is a 100 acre sustainable community outside of Mumbai. Matter of fact, that's where I saw Padmaji last. I, I, I take groups there every year. And it is like, it's sort of like a cutting edge, sustainable build. Sometimes if you say we're going to an eco village, people think uh, mud huts. It's, it's unbelievable what you've created there. Can you share, Maharaj, the importance of a connection to nature within our spiritual life? Um, can I just practice in the city? Why can't I just live in the city and be spiritual? Can you explain to the, the importance of a ecologically uh, sustainable living and what it has to do with a spiritual practice? Thank you, Raghunath, for your gracious words. And thank you, Padmaji, Sharon, for your wisdom and your insights and your devotion. Um, whether we're in a city or whether we're in a deep forest or whether we're in a farm, whatever it may be, um, the real meaning and joy of life is what we are activated to contribute to, to the world. And the idea of activism, um, when we, as Sharon was saying, when we speak and act in the mood of being instruments of, of God's love with compassion and respect for life, respect for nature, um, then we really find the meaning of yoga. We find an interconnection, and through that interconnection, a connection with everything external as well. Um, Going into nature, developing something like this eco-village that you're speaking about is, is a model which um, tries to show um, the beauty and the importance of living in harmony. Living in harmony with the sky living in harmony with the animals and the insects and living in harmony with all of the, uh, the, the vegetation and living in harmony with other humans. Um, Padma was talking about how today a bear came to her house. And, you know, I used to live in caves where there were 
leopards and bears and snakes and and one of my realizations is dealing with humans is more unbearable than being with <laughs> bears <laughs> because there's an ego situation that comes but um we can when we transcend our own ego we can actually transcend the egos of others and that means harmony yoga means to harmonize the body with the mind with the heart and with the soul the living force that's 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 who we truly are and in that harmony we find harmony with god we find harmony with all of nature and we find harmony with all living beings <clears throat> when we actually connect to the most essential quality of our true self which is love then we learn to we're activated by a spirit of compassion according to our capacity and according to our our role and um that could be done in a city that could be done in a village it could be done in a forest it's a matter of that inner connection but what is universally is important is is respect for nature because all nature is life and everything's interconnected in this principle of life um we see it that sarvaloka maheshwaram krishna's words that all of creation is the energy the gift of god so seva the idea of service the idea of yoga is we don't exploit the things of nature we do not as far as possible pollute the gifts of nature but rather we see it as god's gifts and whatever we take from nature we offer back to replenish nature and that's the the vision of yoga for how we deal with the world the environment and the ecological environment problems will naturally be resolved to the extent that human beings actually see mother earth as our mother and we don't want to exploit or pollute our mother we want to offer respect to our mother and respect all of her children um compassion to other living beings is declared in the yoga scriptures to be the highest form of yoga the highest form of religion and the highest way of expressing our love for god so our our eco village is showing a model of living in harmony when we're there with nature in the birds it's a bird sanctuary it's an animal sanctuary it's it's an ecological um experiment in every way we we try to teach these things to the villagers and people from all over the world are coming even colleges and this spirit of living in harmony can be taken to the cities and to the towns and into our families and applied there 
you really um, created a beacon of light or beacon of hope. And it almost seems like the humans are just such a disease, to a poison in the machine. And now that we've gone through this pandemic, so many things are coming up. We can see the we can see the water in Venice we never saw before. The Gunga that we've been trying to figure out how to get clean for years is now clean. People said they can drink the water in the Gunga. Are you? Is it scary to think like, okay, the pandemic's over. We're just it's going to go back to business as usual. And how do we not make it go back to business as usual? I don't want to see trash in the Gunga. I want I don't want them to pour things into the Gunga any longer, or to any rivers for that matter. What do we do to sort of keep that pristine life? It seems like, what, what do we do, Maraj? It, it, it seems like everything is wrong. <laughs> when, when people come together for a higher purpose, in a spirit of respect and compassion for all life and all beings, and, um then there's a great power in that unity. And, you know, whether right now people are protesting, and for those who are protesting with a compassionate spirit toward those who are being oppressed, you know, that's actually a wonderful thing. And the deeper our compassion, the deeper our connection to God, the more we actually have power behind all of our activism. And, um, we need environmental, we need social, and we need spiritual activism in this world. And when people recognize the need to come together for this purpose, then great changes take place. I think, um, Maharaj, you really were spot on when you said, if we relate to others with respect and compassion, then we have a chance uh, for healing. Respect, the word respect means to look. It's kind of like darshan. It means to look and to look again, meaning to look deeper, hmm. to look past, respect us. You know, respect. respect, never thought of that. <laughs> it's from Latin. It's... Um, it means to look and to look again, or to look deeply, um, to look past outer differences. And this is what darshan uh, means when you can see from the place of the sakshi, sakshi, the witness, the inner being, the Atman, and not from, uh, and not see the difference. And then from that respect, there is a chance for compassion. And compassion is uh, perhaps the most misunderstood virtue in our time among human beings. Compassion is not sympathy. It's not pity. It's not even empathy. Although it contains empathy, perhaps you could say it contains sympathy, Sympathy is when you recognize the suffering of another. And empathy is when you recognize the suffering of another, but you also feel it as if it's happening to you. But compassion 
is something much different. It kind of pushes empathy and sympathy up several notches. Compassion occurs when you recognize the pain in another, you feel the pain in the other, but you're committed to figuring out a way to alleviate that pain, a solution. Because knowing, knowing that when you alleviate the pain in another, your own pain will be alleviated because you felt that pain through empathy. So figuring out a, a win-win for everyone is what compassion actually uh, means. And the word compassion, it means with Passion, compassion. With I'm learning so much about the English language today. Thank you so much. I just want you to know. (laughs) Continue, please. Not from me, because I can barely speak. I'm just I'm learning. Um, Although it's it's interesting to me, and I want to do better. Um, Because I do want to be a better communicator, and communication really does uh, involve listening uh it's not you know when uh, i was labeled a yoga teacher and um i reflected deeply what is what does it mean to be a teacher uh and someone said to me oh you know like a professor you're like a professor you give uh you know talks and sermons and like that. And I'm like, hmm, what does professing mean? And when I learned what professing meant, I did not want to be a professor because it, it seems so lonely and, and um, not very much fun because a professor expresses themselves, expresses their ideas. Uh, you could say, imposes uh, their thoughts and ideas upon others. And so at that point, I decided I was going to try my best to be a communicator. And um, that that takes feeling what the other person might be thinking or feeling and addressing that, and that involves respect and compassion. So Maharaj is really right on, I will say that again, with what we really need is respect and compassion. And I do believe that it is the yogic sadhanas that help us to develop those two virtues. And when those are developed, then perhaps we can become spiritual activists, because then we will be activated by the spirit. That's beautiful. Um, It seems like, Maharaj, the the word of the day is compassion. And uh, besides all the wonderful things you do, and your many talents, Maharaj, you sing so wonderfully and you're doing so many wonderful things in the world, but um, you're also a renowned storyteller. And um, you've got, it's almost like you've got thousands of stories stored in your brain. It's, un, it's uncanny. 
Can you share a story from the Puranas or from the sacred literature on compassion? Anything come to mind that we can bring with us and we can get to witness some of your stories for those who haven't heard you tell stories? I'm going to tell a story that I recently heard from you, Raghunath. <laughs> I just hear it from you, so I couldn't have heard it from me. What's the origin? It must be you. The idea is we take water from Mother Ganga and we offer it back to Mother Ganga with prayer and devotion, and there's great purification that takes place. That the, connect, the connection with God is we receive the gifts of God and we offer them back for the pleasure of God, for the well-being of God's children, and, and that's where the beauty of life is. So there was a king, and his name was Shibi. And he was, he was such a king. And in those days, kings, um, you know, they didn't get voted in office. They didn't have to campaign every few years. They were there for their life. And of course, when there were bad kings, then, you know, it's good to overthrow them. But when there were good kings, then everybody in the kingdom felt protected and empowered and valued. Um, so he was like that. So one day, a pigeon, just a regular pigeon, apparently, came flying into his room and said, please protect me. And Maharaj Shibi, now I can't be as animated as you are, Raghunath, but I'm going to try to tell the same words. Maharaj Shibi said, I have given my heart and my life to protect everyone because nothing is mine. This kingdom is God's property to be used for God's children and all of God's children in every form of life. Life is sacred in whatever form it may be within and I must respect, honor, and protect. So the pigeon said, a hawk is coming to eat me. He'll be right here. Please protect me. I'm helpless. So then the hawk came. And Maharaj Sibi said, you're not going to touch this pigeon. Mm -hmm. And the hawk said, well, what about me? I'm also a person, and I'm also a citizen, and I'm a hawk, and my natural food is pigeons. So you're protecting the pigeon. Why, how are you protecting me? So we cannot imitate these stories. <laughs> but they're quite extreme. But they do teach us certain values that we can um, strive toward. So the king said, um, whatever is the weight of this pigeon you can take from my body and eat it. So there was the scale and the pigeon went on one part of the scale and the king actually cut off part of his body and put it on the scale. And the pigeon weighed more and he put more and more. And finally, the king sat on the scale and he was exactly the same weight as the pigeon. That was a mystical thing. And the king said, please eat me. Um, my, the greatest service we can offer to the Lord is to, to make sacrifices to show compassion to others. So, 
so now I'm yours. Now, why would a king who has such wealth and such power and such fame and such a beautiful family do this for a pigeon? We shouldn't do it to that extreme, but the value of, of his compassion, the value of his respect and the value of his sense of responsibility to that respect and compassion is so much revealed in this story. So at that point, and he was actually willing and ready to give his life for someone who most of the world would consider insignificant, but he didn't see, he saw that pigeon as a child of God. Um, at that point, the pigeon and the hawk both transformed into devatas, very great enlightened beings. And they told Maharaj Shibbi that we have done this just to show the world what it means to truly be compassionate. What, it, what, what are the real qualities of a leader? The Bhagavad Gita says, yad yad that what leaders do, people follow. The mother and father are leaders of a family. The teachers are leading of a classroom. The politicians and government officials are leaders of the country. That there's spiritual leaders. There's leaders on so many levels. But the most important thing for a leader is to demonstrate and give an example of character. The type of character where we're not leading to serve our own selfish interests or our own ego, but our leading is based on the principle of what Sanskrit calls seva, or actual service to others. Service to the body, the mind, and the eternal soul of others. Mars just brings up two questions, one for you and one for Padmaji, but first I'll go with you. How do you know when you're serving, this may sound crazy for a person practicing bhakti, how do you know when you're serving too much at the cost of your own, at the cost of your own life? This sounds like a, a sick codependent relationship. Uh, a woman or a man is serving their spouse at their own, um, and, and giving up part of themselves, their, 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 their own um, self-care, their own careers, their own life. How do you know when your service has gone too far? What's the fine line that we can use? Because we all want to be of service, but we don't want to be, I mean, I'm, I'm speaking from sort of a Western philosophical place. We don't want to be a doormat. Or do we want to be a doormat? Do we want people to walk all over us? Is that a good thing? Or is, is that our mood? Uh, almost if you read something about codependency and then you hear Lord Chaitanya, uh, the great avatar, say things like, um, I want nothing else to serve life after life. Handle me roughly by your embrace. How are we supposed to take those pra practically into our life? When do we say, this is too much. I'm serving too much. Do we ever say that? Padma, would you like to speak first or would you like me to? As you wish, I'm at your service. Please speak. <laughs> I think there is a, um, 
a tried and true way to know when you are serving too much from a spiritual point of view. When you see yourself as a victim, you see an enlightened being and a victim, never the twain shall meet. They cancel each other out. So to be an enlightened being, if you feel in any circumstance that you are being victimized, then that's kind of like a, a red light. Then you know that you're not, you're not seeing the whole clearly enough. You're still, you have some blockages, some karmic residue that still needs to be cleaned. And you're not ready to take it to that level of service. Because truly, as Maharaj spoke uh, about the king, he transcended that level. He did not see himself as a doormat, as a victim. The victim uh, persona was not in any way part of his perspective. Um, now, many of us <laughs> are not there yet. So when we are in a circumstance um, and we do start to feel that we are being oppressed, uh, the, from a yogic point of view, you do your best to rise above it. But if you can't, get the heck out of there. Leave it. And admit that you're not spiritually strong enough to withstand that. You still have work to do. Um, another uh, thing that, that came to mind, Maharaj was talking about the virtues of a good leader. It's, it's from the Mahabharata. When Bhishma is on the battlefield and he's dying with, you know, uh, more than a hundred arrows sticking in his body and he is the great king, Bhishma. Uh, the just and revered, beloved King Bhishma. And it's obvious that Yudhishthira is going to be the next king. And so Krishna uh, suggests to Yudhishthira, who is Arjuna's elder brother, let us go and ask Bhishma if he has any advice for for you and so they go to the battlefield and i mean imagine it bishma is laying there dying in pain he's been laying there for days over a month and bishma says to yudhishthira the most important quality for a leader to develop is restraint. Mm. Restraint, meaning that you might feel something, but you don't let that get in the way of your decision making for 
the people or for a larger cause. For instance, um, if, if you feel distressed, if you feel unhappy, if you feel angry, uh, recognize that if you're a leader, you need to apply restraint for those negative emotions. You need not profess or, or express everything about yourself to everybody. Those are things that you need to go in your cave, go into your sadhana, and work on because they are not helpful to the people who are looking to you as a leader, whether it's a political leader or a spiritual leader or the leader of the football team uh, or the basketball team. Uh, restraint. And one of the ways that allows us to develop this restraint of our negative emotions is to remember the teachings that our true nature is happiness. And so if we're visited by negative emotions like anger, like feeling a victim, like feeling sorry for ourselves or feeling sad or uh, in despair or confused, that these are not real. These are passing uh, phantoms. Mm. And that we should, our sadhana should help us let those negative dark clouds blow past go right through us and, and be steadfast in that which is real and eternal within us. And that is the happiness, the joy of our soul, the Atman. Um, so from that point of view, there's actually never, ever any good reason to be unhappy. I like that. Thank you. Maharaj, I'm going to take this another another direction. I'm going to go back to the hawk and the pigeon, if you mind. Hawk eats pigeons. Big deal. That's what they do. How Now, we have a lot of people listening to this that don't know much about maybe the yoga system or they're new to all of this, and you guys are speaking in very lofty ways. What's wrong with, you know, uh, there's – we. Padmaji and myself live in upstate New York. There, we've killed off all the panthers. There's no wolves here. There's an over, oversupply, so to speak, of deer. Deer run on the road. Uh, they cause car accidents. What is wrong with hunting? The animals all hunt. I saw an owl yesterday on a bike ride with a baby bird in his talons and the parent birds chasing. Isn't this just the natural course of life? What is so wrong? with killing animals, where does compassion come in? It's just, the, it's just being natural in this world. What would you say to that if you were challenged, Radha Swami? <laughs> um, what you're saying, being natural. Um, for a tiger, it's completely natural to eat the deers. Um, 
But human life is very special. This wisdom we receive from um, all the great scriptures of the world, all the great saints and enlightened people throughout history, um, that this human life is, is very special. It has, a, it has a special purpose, and that's to, to actually discover our, our harmony with our eternal souls and with God and to live in a spirit of compassion, which is the symptom, the expression of being in contact with our true self. So unnecessary violence, unnecessary pain or death of any living being um, is, is actually foreign to the mm -hmm. true nature of the soul. And this, this, in the human form of life, this is the opportunity to really make that connection. Um, <clears throat> in America, I, I visit so many homes and people have dogs and people have cats and they understand that their dog and cat is a person and they love their dogs. They really love their cats. They, they, you know, even in a city like New York, they go out even in the middle of the winter because the dog needs to be taken a walk. And, and when the dog leaves excrement, the person, you know, picks it up with their own hands, sometimes a little glove and collects it. So there, there's, there's affection there. And, um, you know, if I, I've seen you know, when, the, when their pet dog dies, it's, it's a member of the family that dies. You know, when you look in their eyes, you know, you, you see their, their affection for you and, and, it, and it just stirs up these emotions of affection. And, you know, a dog is, is, is not a human. A dog, you know, and there's, there are countries in the world that regularly eat dogs, you know, we don't in our country because we are kind of conditioned to think that they're pets. Now, you know, I've lived with goats and I've lived with cows. And, and, when, I, and when we actually get to know them, when we look in their eyes, they have the same love for life. They have the same love for their children as we do. Maybe not as intellectual, but they do. And, you know, when we, when we actually are in communication on a heart level with these, these various animals, then we understand that they feel pain just like we do. And they, they're searching for pleasure and, and, and safety just like we do. And they love their life as much as we do. And um, respect for animals respect for different races and nationalities and religions within the human society. You know, our tendency is we isolate ourselves according to our own identity. And we think that, you know, I'm, I'm worthy and these people are not worthy. And that's, mm. you know, what we're seeing in the form of racism today, you know, just an insensitivity toward humans that are different, different, but, you know, the same principle is there the insensitivity to, to other life living beings that are different. And, and that's, 
that's really the responsibility of a human being is to raise one's consciousness to actually respect and be an instrument to, to, to protect life, not to unnecessarily destroy life. Unnecess unnecessarily. I was going to go to you, Padmaji, then what do you do? You got to live. You, you got to mow that lawn in Woodstock. There's frogs and there's bugs and even to garden. Sometimes something's dying. Um, what do you, how do you, how, do, how can you be truly nonviolent in this world? Uh, well, first thing we keep our lawn unmowed. <laughs> but um, besides, that's besides the point. Um, lions, tigers uh, do, it is natural for them to eat other animals. But does that mean that we have to do what a lion does? Mm. Um, we have a choice. We have, we don't have to eat meat. Physiologically, we survive and actually thrive better on a vegan diet, a completely animal-free diet. I mean, that's just a... That's a fact. That's a physiological fact. So it's a choice for a human being. Um, and it's a choice to be cruel. And when you do have a choice, it's always better to be kind rather than cruel. The karmic repercussions <laughs> are a lot better. Um, but uh, from another point of view, why say that it's natural for a lion to eat a deer and so if human beings want to be natural, they should eat deer too, or any animal that they want. Why cite one thing that um, a lion like why not, does? Like why not cite a sheep? A sheep doesn't eat, a sheep's eating grass. Yeah, I mean, wh why say, okay, if a lion eats meat, then, then I have the right to eat meat as a human being. Hmm. Uh, lions don't drive around in cars. They don't live in houses. They don't um wear shoes or clothes uh why just uh you know then why not just do everything that a lion does why choose just one thing and use it as your argument it's a pretty flimsy argument yeah um in the courtroom i think that's good maraj then what what's the point radna swami why are we even living in these houses why don't we just bring it back and go back to the caves are, are we? T I'm, now I'm playing the de devil's advocate here, so I'd like to see is that where is that where we're headed? Is that where we're headed? We have to tear it down and 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 live in primitive ways. Would that be the more uh, compassionate way to go? <laughs> we do not, our best. Not necessarily. In the moment, I'm sorry. We do our best in the moment. You're always doing your best, Padma Devi. That's why so many people um, respect you and honor you and are inspired by you. But having a house, having a car, all of these facilities that we have, um, if we engage them with the, with the compassionate intention then it's non-different than living in a forest with a compassionate intention. 
because I, I've seen people living in simple little villages and I've seen people, I've seen even um, ascetics in the jungles of the Himalayas who are very arrogant and very cruel and very disrespectful mm. to others. So it's not that living in a forest is going to make you enlightened and it's not that living in a city is going to make you enlightened. Whether you're living in a beautiful home or an apartment on Fifth Avenue, or whether you're living in Beverly Hills, California, or whether you're living in a little village in Maharashtra, India, it really doesn't make any difference. The, 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 the real enlightened um, pursuit is that this is God's property, and, and my body is God's property, and other people are God's children, and let me, let me raise my family according to these um, dharmic or moral spiritual principles beyond sectarian ideas, and let me utilize what we have, you know, in in harmony with this this mindset, this mm. this spiritual principle, um, compassion, humility, love, are states of mind. They're actually states of consciousness. That, um, that are meant to activate our actions and our words. And the idea of yoga is, the idea of spirituality really, is our actions are in harmony with what is favorable toward that connection within. And our spiritual practice is to make that connection so that our actions and words be, will be in harmony with that. As Padma has so wonderfully said, um, we have as human beings free choice. The lion doesn't have free choice. Um, it's, in, in its natural setting, we have not seen lions choose to be vegetarians. Um, because really, according to their state of consciousness, they're not really able to feel so much the suffering that they're cause, causing others. But as human beings, we have that capacity and we have that freedom of choice to live in a spirit with the most possible respect and compassion. And the more we understand paradukaduki, the more we understand what it feels like to suffer ourselves, what it feels to be fearful of our lives ourselves, we, we impose that same um, state on the birds and the animals and the trees and every race and variety of human beings. You know, a, 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 a elevated life, an evolved life is not on the basis of how much money we have or how many votes we get or any of that stuff. An evolved life is, you know, how our character is actually based on respect and compassion for others and actual, you know, love for God within our hearts. And that's, that's what the world needs to understand. And then naturally, we will respect the feelings and the, and the, the life-loving qualities of everyone. 
So, so what I'm hearing you saying is uh, it doesn't matter really what you have or where you're living. It's the real change of the consciousness that is what's turning a person on in their spiritual life. You could be angry or envious and living in the forest. I mean, we live upstate. There's a lot of very angry people that live in the countryside. The, the, the trees don't make everybody saints. And at the same time, we know in New York City, there's some incredible people at you are the center that you direct in New York City at the Bhakti Center, incredibly inspiring people that I love to be around. Um, at the where same there, time, where there's the greatest need, there's the greatest opportunity to serve. Mm. And for some people, their calling, they can show more compassion living in the middle of a city. If they're, if they're organizing and activating their, their values. Um, one time, George Harrison from the Beatles, he approached my beloved guru, Srila Prabhupada. And this is when the Beatles were very much, you know, at their um, crescendo. And he said, I, I want to leave this music and just come to the ashram. Mm. And Srila Prabhupada said that, that bhakti, that dharma is not about changing your position or your role. It's about changing your consciousness. So God has gifted you with incredible skills and arts as a musician. And he's also gifted you with so much fame and influence over others. Just utilize all these things in a spirit of compassion to, to enlighten people. And that's much higher than living in an ashram or going to the forest. Mm. And he, he did that. We have a friend that has come to say ah. hi to thank all. Thank you. She's saying thank you. And it seems like the more you live in this compassionate way, the more you naturally simplify anyway. And um, I was wondering, we have to wrap it up, but I, I want to thank both of you. And I was wondering if you could both leave us with some mantra. It doesn't have to be a Sanskrit mantra. It could be an English phrase that we can hold on to today. Padmanji, would you like to, do you have something in mind, that uh, a word, a phrase that we can take with us today? Shri Krishna Sharanam Mama. Krishna is my refuge. That is beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> Radna Swami, anything for us to take with us? The Maha Mantra, which is a prayer to love and to serve. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hari Dama, Hari Dama, Rama Rama, Hari Hari. Thank you so much, both of you. Um, Jiva Mukti Yoga co-founder, Padmaji Sharanganan, thank you so much for all that you do. Um, you're so appreciated and I'm happy to have you in my life. And Radhna Swami, spiritual inspiration for myself, for my family, the Govardhan Eco Village, incredible place, incredible place. And the Bhakti Center in New York City, thank you so much for joining us. And happy International Yoga Day to everybody and all the fathers out there. Happy Father's Day. And because it's the summer solstice, happy summer solstice day. And Padmaji and Radna Swami, thank you for leading us all. You guys are all parents to all of us. And we're very grateful for everything that you've given to us. Namaste. Haribo. Thank you, Padma Devi, Sharon Ganon, for being such a light of, of 
joy to so many millions of hearts. And thank you, Raghunath, for being such an inspiration to people throughout the world. Thank you so much. You're very kind. And, and thank you to all the viewers of today's event. And may, may our beloved Lord, may our beloved ultimate object of love um, shower blessings and grace upon each and every one of you. Haribo. Thank you. Thank you.